Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for holding this hearing. I, I think everyone here shares a number of common objectives, wanting to ensure that, that all federal prisoners are held in a humane manner that respects their inherent dignity as human beings, uh, and at the same time that upholds the objectives of sound penological policy, uh, both allowing an opportunity for rehabilitation when possible, uh, and ensuring to the maximum extent possible the safety of other inmates. Uh, Mr. Samuels, I appreciate uh, your service uh, and your being here today and, and, and engaging in this important discussion. And, and I'd like to ask some questions to further understand your testimony and, and the, the scope uh, of solitary confinement within the federal prison system. Uh, you testified there are roughly 215,000 inmates in the federal system, and that compares to about 1.2 million incarcerated in various state systems. And am I correct that the overwhelming majority of the 215,000 uh, in the federal system are, are in the general population at any given time? Yes, sir. The majority of the inmates are in general population. Also, the majority of the inmates in our system spend their entire period of incarceration in general population. We're only talking about a very, very small percentage. Right now, 6.5% out of our entire population is in some form of restrictive housing. And when you break that number down, as I've mentioned, administrative detention, which is temporary, and also with the disciplinary segregation, they're given a set number of days and or months that they have to serve in a prison environment. And, and I would hope that everyone understands it's all about order. And if we do not have order, we cannot provide programs. We're constantly locking down our institutions. Since the hearing in 2012, we have reduced our restrictive housing population by over 25%. Within the last year, we have gone from 13.5% to 6.5%. So the reductions are occurring. We are only interested in placing individuals in restrictive housing when there is a legitimate reason and justification. Those who say to me, stick to civil rights, have another answer. Others can do what they want to do. That's their business as other civil rights leaders, for various reasons, refuse or can't take a stand or have to go along with the administration. That's their business. But I'm afraid that I know that justice is indivisible. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere.
Welcome in tonight, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, bringing the message of justice all around the world. Tonight we're going to talk about solitary confinement, the cruel and unusual punishment of solitary confinement. We'll be having Robert King uh, and Albert um, Woodfox joining us from the Angola Three. Uh, I'll tell you what, folks, 40, 29, 30 years, whatever number fits in solitary confinement in, in America's prisons, we're going to hear their story and the cruelty that took place there. But overall, solitary confinement, a place of torture. We're going to visit it tonight. Folks, hang on to your seats. AJC Radio kicks off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and William Williams and the AJC radio team. And tonight uh, we're dealing with a very serious topic. Uh, we've touched on it a little bit in the past. We want to dig a little bit deeper as well. Uh, tonight joining us at the top of the hour uh, is going to be Jackie, uh, I believe it's pronounced Samel. Uh, she's joining us, uh, actually was very uh, directly involved uh, with helping uh, one of the Angola Three. We'll get into that. I'll let her tell that, those details. And I'll tell you what, folks, um, some huge injustices in solitary confinement in this country, uh, whether you're guilty or innocent of crimes, uh, perhaps in, a, in, in one form or another, the solitary confinement issue is a completely separate issue. Uh, it is a place of torture. It is a place of death. It is a place of, 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 of things that just should not be going on uh, here in America, and I cannot imagine spending decades in solitary confinement. That's one of those things that simply uh, do not make any sense, and we're going to dig into that. Lisa, the disclaimer for our listeners, please. Yes, we just want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide any legal advice. You want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC Radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and spending a little bit of your evening with us. And thank you for that, Lisa. And uh, uh, again, uh, some serious conversation going on tonight. Folks, feel free to dial in and join the conversation. Uh, we'll get a pen and paper, whatever uh, you have, or jot it down on your tablet. 347 838 8976. That's 347-838-8976, uh to join into this conversation. We're going to uh, definitely uh, get into some serious, uh, I believe, thought-provoking conversation. And again, uh, these two gentlemen from the Angola Three are going to be joining us here uh, at the bottom of the hour. Uh, and uh, then at the top of the hour, we're going to bring in the next segment uh, with the young lady we just mentioned. Folks, this is some serious stuff. William, when you think about solitary confinement, um, I'll tell you right now, prisoners of war, uh, of, of the, uh, basically the enemy, uh, if we're in conflict with, are not treated as some people are treated in solitary confinement in America. Uh, how troubling is that to you? It's very troubling when you talk about putting a human being in a six by nine cell and you're telling them, I mean, you're keeping them confined. You're keeping them confined, you're keeping them locked up, and they, I think it's like one hour a day that they, they're able to get well, out. Well, if that, if yeah, that, you I know, mean, yeah. And you're talking about no social interaction, you're talking about. Uh, I mean, it's it's just amazing for me to think about. I can't I can't fathom having to go through that. Sure, Cliff, your thoughts on this issue? Again, we visited before we talked before. I think about juveniles 
being held in solitary confinement, uh, what goes into that, uh, and uh, the director, former director Samuels of the Bureau of Prisons uh, absolutely is 100% clueless uh, to the actual uh, findings and doings of solitary confinement within the federal and, and the state level. He could not give an answer uh, Cliff, you remember before, not even the dimensions of the solitary confinement cells as the director of the Bureau of Prisons. Right, and that's that was uh, what was so troubling about most of his statements before Congress. I mean, he had no idea about the people who were uh, incarcerated under him, the type of conditions that they lived in. And then when he was asked about solitary confinement, I, I mean, just to remember back when he said, oh, solitary confinement does not I- exist. That, uh, you know, it's still, I mean, you, you talk to the Angola Three and I, they, they would beg to differ. Solitary confinement is real. It's, uh, it's cruel and unusual punishment. And it is a system that, you know, other nations have, uh, other civilized nations have said that they've banned it, that they've seen it as torture, that, uh, you know, no human uh, really can, can sustain their, their uh you know, level of insanity being locked up in solitary confinement. So uh, it's one of those things that you say, uh, how disconnected was uh, Director Samuels from the people that were uh, under his supposed to be care? Oh, absolutely. And these are things that just are, are simply troubling. Uh, and again, we're going to dig into that tonight. Then Gola 3 is a very unique story uh, with these gentlemen that uh, I'm going to let them tell their story, but one of complex measures. Uh, that happened to these men. Uh, I can tell you, Robert uh, uh, King, uh, former, uh, he was a former member of the of the Black Panther Party. This is many, many, many uh, years ago. Uh, he spent 32 years in prison. 29 of the 32 were solitary confinement. That is uncomprehendable. Uh, and again, uh, the solitary confinement is the issue, and the treatment. And the human uh, treatment of our citizens, whether they, again, whether they're in jail for drug charges, whatever the case is, that's not how America punishes its prisoners, uh, by doing cruel. And I mean, we have a, seg- a, a statement called cruel and unusual punishment within the Constitution that's completely banned, that should not happen, even it, with prisoners of war. What? What place have we come to as a nation, as a country, when we can lock a man and mentally expect him to come out and be anything productive in society? That's, 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 that's bigger than me. That's, that's absolutely insane. And again, folks, uh, we're going to get in on the conversation. 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And... Uh, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, if you have something to say or to comment on this show tonight, we, we, we cordially invite you uh, to be a part of this program. We appreciate that. And uh, going to some current news now, uh, first of all, we give our sincere and deepest condolences to the victims of the Orlando shooting uh, over the weekend. And it has plastered the news since, since this tragedy has happened. Uh, President Obama calling it the worst uh, massive shooting in American history. Uh, 49 lives lost, 53, I believe, injured. Uh, what a huge tragedy. And we, our prayers and thoughts go with the families uh, and for those victims that went out one night, uh, 
you know, in in the community, whether the, you know, listen to some music and do whatever, they were gunned down in cold blood uh, by this terrorist, and the president is calling it an act of terror. Cliff, your thoughts on this uh, troubling um, situation here in the in the country right now? Yeah, it's a it's a tragedy. It's um, you know, they're saying the. Uh, worst mass killing in American history as far as uh, what they're calling a, a terror attack, a one-person terror attack. And it just shows you that, um, you know, I think what gets me about it is they said they were watching this guy for a couple years. They had put him on the watch list, taken him off, put him back on. And uh, these are the type of things that, you know, you and you look and you know that the uh, IRP6 software, the Silk software is out there that, uh, you know, can can track this type of situation and can help to say, hey, who is this guy linked to? Uh, where has he been? Who has he been talking to? And, um, you know, then you end up with this tragedy. And then that's when they come and say, oh, now that we put all the information together, this is what we see about this guy. Well, a little, uh, too little, too late. But it is a tragedy, and uh, like I say, our hearts go out to those families who are suffering because of the loss of their loved ones. No, without question. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we said it before. We'll say it again on this program. You may think the IRP-6 is a fairy tale or some creation of our imagination. I can assure you nothing could be further from the truth. The IRP-6 has developed software to track terrorists and this man was born, I, from what I read, in America. These talk, Cliff, this goes to, William and Lisa, this goes to the cells, the ISIS cells within the United States. And the reason they're not tracked, because there is no information sharing. Uh, exactly the opposite is happening of what this software can do. And it's high time that America wake up. You have nothing to lose to take a look at this software. And I'll tell you what, Cliff, you you were intimately involved with this software. And I'll tell you right now, tell the folks a little bit, as we get a little bit into this briefly, due to the tragedy, 49 lives could have been saved with the implementation of this software uh, in Orlando and in our federal law enforcement uh, system. Cliff, talk to the folks a little bit about that and why it's important that we pay attention to this IRP6 story and that folks go out to change.org and get these men out immediately before another tragedy happens again. Yeah, I mean, you you look back and, I mean, all the way from 9-11 and then the uh, Boston Marathon bombing up until this shooting uh, last week and all the ones before. I mean, the, the issue is that the federal law enforcement agencies... They love coming together after a tragedy and saying, okay, well, based off the information that we have and then now that, you know, the FBI is releasing its information and the CIA is releasing its information and the NSA is releasing its information, now we can put the puzzle together. Well, that's too late. Now you're talking about 50 lives that have been lost, uh, others that have been uh, dramatically just, um, you know, changed and, and, and the families that have been uh, just broken and crumbled. When there's software, the IRP6 Silk software, that says in a secure manner we can share the information across these federal law enforcement agencies, and that is the bottom line on what's happening. They won't share information, uh, claiming that, well, there's no secure way to do it when it's all just, you know, a bunch of big kids 
hanging around a playground that don't want to share their toys. That's what it boils down to. And it, uh, you know, it, it makes you angry because you're like, okay, well, lives could have been saved. Well, Cliff, and we're going to be digging into that on what you didn't know about the IRP6. We're going to discuss that further. Uh, it is amazing to me as body bags continue to be filled in this country from terror that one person won't get up and say, let's take a look at the software that the IRP6 created. Who are the RP6? Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker, patriots of America trying to save lives. Who will answer the call and discuss this software and get it implemented, in, uh, in like, like Cliff, alluded, Cliff just stated, uh, across federal lines with these agencies? Uh, it's critically important uh, that that happens. So, again, folks, uh, change.org. Go out, search IRP6, sign our petition. If you go to YouTube, uh, there's been a playwright, uh, a play, excuse me, written by uh, Judge H. Lee Sarakin, retired federal Judge H. Lee Sarakin, a dramatization production that was put on. Go to YouTube now, check it out. Just search the race card face up, and uh, you'll see the video and the huge uh, response that we have gotten from that, and the, the, we give us very special thanks and shout out uh, to the actors uh, that demonstrated this story in a very brief uh, demonstration, but so powerful that's impacting a lot of people. So again, that's change.org. Sign the petition. Take a few minutes tonight, folks. Folks in the chat room, if you want to get messages tonight, then go to YouTube. I mean, excuse me, go to change.org and go to YouTube. See the video, and I guarantee you to prompt you to go to change.org and do what we can as we ask the president. Uh, to grant clemency to these men and their release almost immediately. Uh, so th- these are important issues, ladies and gentlemen, as we, again, face another tragedy, another situation in this country uh, that has America on edge. And, William, we've been talking about that for a while, the uneasiness, the unsettledness of Americans. Uh, and every time you think you're starting to settle in, you find the vulnerabilities of this nation. Uh, and again, why the push for the IRP6? Again, we're going to be discussing that on what you didn't know tonight uh, and the impact that that could have had in this situation. We talked, uh, Cliff, you remember uh, we went on one of our Washington trips. We talked to one of the uh, congressman's aides up there uh, who are over the oversight of Homeland Security, and he made the statement that the reason the Boston Marathon tragedy happened is because information was not being shared. Yes, same, um, same yes. reason as 9-11, the same reason. The members of Congress see it. Their staff sees it, um, you know, and, and the the law enforcement, the federal law enforcement officials, they have to know it as well. And again, you know, I am tired of once a tragedy happens, then they bring all the information together. And then they can tell you the story about the person. Oh, well, he came from here. He went over there. He was in touch with this person, that person. Uh, you know, they, he was on the watch list. Then we dropped him off. Those are the type of things that need that that information needs to be passed around before some type of tragedy like this happens. You don't wait until the tragedy and then say, oh, okay, well, CIA, here's the information from the FBI. Now put the puzzle together. No, put the puzzle together before you have 50 dead people. And what they've done is, Lisa, what I've observed here in the last uh, few days is make one excuse after another. uh, And they're asking the question, did the FBI drop the ball? Oh, no. Absolutely not. If the federal government drops the ball, oh, no, 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 no. This is just something that happens if people would leave their ego at the door and keep the American people in this, this nation 
as top priority of keeping them safe, you wouldn't have to worry about folks not wanting to share or pass the ball on the playground, as Cliff alluded to. You know, when you're coming up, you're playing, whether it's basketball, you always got one person that doesn't want to give up the ball, doesn't want to be a team player, and ultimately his team loses. And make no mistake about it, we need team playership here uh, in this situation. We need agencies to come together, or we will continue to fill body bags. That's something that we absolutely uh, cannot do. Ladies and gentlemen, again, if you want to get in on the conversation tonight, the number is 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. Right now in Colorado Springs, where we're coming to you live, it's 81 degrees, partly sunny. Los Angeles, 69 degrees, partly sunny. In our nation's capital, 77 degrees, mostly sunny. And in New York City, 77 and sunny. Good weather has settled in across the nation. Come on back as we get ready to dig into a very serious topic. Solitary confinement, the cruel and unusual punishment going ignored in our nation. We're coming right back, folks. Hang on to your seats. Grab a beverage. I can say lemonade because it's summertime in America. We'll be right back here with AJC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world. The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time. And I say high time that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. 
We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio. No, it is not September yet. But I'll tell you right now, folks, tonight we deal in a serious issue, a serious topic, if you will, on solitary confinement, the cruelty of it. We're going to have some guests joining us here during the show. Uh, And coming up, we're going to have Robert King and Albert Woodfox uh, joining us here momentarily. Uh, Spent years, decades, if you will, in solitary confinement. Um, Unfortunate, um, unjust, to be honest with you. Uh, and it is a it is a horrific horror that is in prisons all over this country. Uh, we're going to actually uh, we're going to actually deal with that tonight. So, uh, and at the top of the hour, uh, we're going to bring in also uh, Jackie Samel. She's going to be joining us. Uh, a huge uh, who I see as an advocate, uh, and uh, I'm going to let her tell her story. A magnificent young lady, um, and she is doing some things to address this troubling issue. Uh, right here in America. If you want to join in on the conversation tonight, get a pen and paper, 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And we appreciate all of our listeners, not only in America, but around the world. Uh, special shout-out to uh, Danielle in the U.K., and excuse me, in Australia, uh, one of our uh, faithful uh, listeners and supporters of AJC Radio. We appreciate you and uh, all those that tune into this program. We appreciate you. Uh, allowing us to come into your homes and share uh, the information that we do share. We appreciate that. And uh, William, uh, we, again, we're just alluding to these two gentlemen uh, that have suffered some huge injustices uh, in our criminal justice system, uh, really high-profile cases, uh, uh, and they are addressing some issues with solitary confinement. Uh, again, almost, I believe, uh, you're talking about 30 to 40 years in solitary confinement. It's amazing. How do you live in that environment that long? I mean, you have folks that uh, mentally, they simply cannot deal. We're going to play some clips tonight of folks talking about solitary confinement and the tragedy. uh, And and I I believe we have a clip that goes to the sounds of solitary confinement. And some of those men, uh, what they're going through mentally shutting down, mentally feeling like there's no reason to go on. And it's a mental torture uh, that's going on in this country, and it, it is such a troubling matter, William. Well, it's, it's you know, I related to, you know, living like a caged animal. Man was not meant to live like a caged animal. And so when you talk about living for four decades in a six-by-nine cell, spending pretty much every hour of the day there, trapped. I mean, you're, you're I, can't, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. I mean, people, people will... 
They don't even like that with their dogs or their pets to leave them in right. the kennel too long. Can you imagine living your life there, being fed there, you have to go into the bathroom there? You get nothing. You have no freedom. And even even their their recreation, I guess, is outside. It's just another cell outside that they're transporting. Well, it's a cage. It's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a kennel. Yeah. So I, you know, it's amazing. Uh, dealing with some issues, and uh, again, we're, we're going to have these two gentlemen here momentarily, uh, and they're going to tell a little bit about their story. Uh, and these are these are things that um, that are just just troubling. If we go into uh, the uh, 40 years in solitary confinement, two members of Angola, three remain in isolation in Louisiana prison. This is a former story. Robert King, the only freed member of the Angola three, he spent 29 years in solitary confinement for a murder he did not commit. Uh, he was released in 2001 after his conviction was overturned. He has written a book about his experience called From the Bottom of the Heap, the autobiography of Black Panther Robert Hillary Kling, King. Excuse me. He is featured in several films from the Angola three. Black Panthers and the Last Slave Plantation to a brand new film about his life called Hard Time. And when you hear that, Cliff, I mean, you're talking about a lifetime of of, of things going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you can't imagine that uh, you know decades in solitary confinement. Uh, you know, it the level of cruelty and to have to to not consider calling that cruel and unusual punishment i mean you're already in prison you're talking about decades of being locked up in solitary confinement and i mean angola is no picnic of a prison absolutely and you're talking about these men being locked up you know back in the 60s and 70s i mean this is the time before the civil i mean right at the the uh crups of the six of the civil rights movement so um you know that they they didn't get any uh, particular rights, anything that would have said that they got treated humanely at all. You could only imagine what they went through as part of being in solitary confinement for that long. No, absolutely. And we're going to get ready to have a conversation uh, with these two gentlemen. And I just want to share this real quick when we get re- as we get ready to bring them on. Um, federal judge has once again ordered the state of Louisiana to release Albert Woodfox, a former Black Panther who has spent more than 40 years, and this is a previous story prior to their release, in solitary confinement. Woodfox and Herman Wallace, another prisoner uh, of the Angola Three, were convicted of murdering a guard at Angola Prison. The Angola Three and their supporters say they were framed for their political activism. Uh, and says the same federal judge that ordered Woodfox's release in 2008 again ruled Woodfox should be set free on the basis of racial discrimination. Uh, and with that, and we're going to dig into that even a little more, but the judge stated that they needed to be released because of racial discrimination, and the prosecution refused, if, if I'm saying that correct, Cliff, refused to let them. How do you refuse a judge's a judge. order? How do you right. do I mean, that? This is, this is the state attorney who refused to obey the judge's order. How that state attorney still well, has a job or is out of prison, I just really don't get that. And then when they refused to release him, they still kept him in solitary confinement. Is yeah. that correct? Wow. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be free, but you not only keep me locked up, but then you keep me in solitary Well, confinement. let's not delay the, uh, the conversation. We're going to bring in uh, right now uh, Robert King and Albert Woodfox. Good evening, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Good evening. Good evening. How are you? How are you all? Uh, we're, do- we're doing well. We thank you so much for taking some time with AJC Radio tonight. Had an opportunity to talk mm-hmm. to you gentlemen a week or so ago. We are thrilled and honored 
uh, that you've taken the time out and uh, to talk about the solitary confinement issue, the injustice that's happening in this country, and what you folks have gone through is absolutely horrific. And we want you to know you have the support of AJC Radio and the Just Cause organization. As we, again, seek to bring the message of justice all around the world, we are stunned as we have researched your story. But we're going to let you tell your story in regards to some of the things that have happened, some of the challenges that you folks have faced. And uh, uh, I'll tell you what, Robert or Albert uh, can start first. Tell the folks a little bit about yourself and why this mission to tell the world about what has happened is so important to you. Um, Well, you know, uh, as you know, my name is Albert Wood Fox and uh, former member of the Black Panther Party. And unfortunately, I have the distinction of being the longest held prisoner in solitary confinement in America. And uh, basically it was because of my political beliefs. The uh, state of Louisiana and the prison administration were determined to uh, break my will, break my determination, break my beliefs, and uh, the policy of the Black Panther Party. And I was determined not to allow them to have it. So as a result of it, I spent almost 44 years in solitary confinement. That is unbelievable. And you said, uh, and this is... uh Robert, I'm speaking to, or Albert? That was Albert, Albert you were speaking to. Um, uh, um, okay. um, you know, I went along the same channel. This is Robert here, and I, I went along sort of like the same channel in which Albert went on, except that I only did 29 years, 31 total, but 29 in solitary confinement based on uh, the same uh, presumption in which the administration had. Um, the labor that they had placed on Albert, they placed it on, on me as well. And even though I was not in in prison when, uh, you know, in which when Herman Albert and uh, two other individuals were falsely indicted for the murder of this officer, I was 150 miles away. Nevertheless, uh, I was guilt by association. I was in a New Orleans Parish prison when they eventually sent me uh, some months later, some weeks later after this had occurred. Um, they placed me in solitary confinement at the uh, and I remained in solitary confinement until I was uh, from 1972 until uh, February 8, 2001, when I was released after 31 years. That is that is unreal to me. And let me ask you a question. And this question goes to both of you. Now, let me let me ask you this question because we addressed it at the top of this show. And, and let me just read this to you. And this is a, again another article, but it talks about uh, the Angola Three. But that's what it says. It says a federal judge once again ordered the state of Louisiana to release Albert Woodfox, who has spent more than 40 years in solitary confinement. And let me ask you a question on that. How does a prosecutor deny the order of a judge and keep you, uh, Albert, in solitary confinement when the judge has ordered your release? Well, Judge Brady, who is... uh chief judge at the time in the middle district court, federal district court, uh, he granted what was called an exceptional writ. It's, uh, it's rarely used. Uh, it's very, very little is known about it. But basically what he said is that because of the misconduct, the racial discrimination, and the, the willingly deliberate 
delays by the state of Louisiana in bringing me to trial, that he didn't believe that the state of Louisiana and the attorney general office at that time, Buddy Caldwell, could be trusted to give me a fair trial. And because so much, because of the misconduct of the state, so much evidence that would go to my innocence had been lost, witnesses had been had died and stuff. And what the Attorney General Office did is he, he went to the Fifth Circuit, which is located in New Orleans. It's, it's in the Fifth Court. I think it's the mm-hmm. second, first or second most powerful court next to the Supreme Court and asked for a stay of Judge Brady's order, which was granted. And about a week or two later, a hearing was uh, had, and uh, a three-judge panel overruled Judge Brady's uh, issuance of a, of an exceptional writ. And so as a result of that, I was kept in the West Feliciana Parish Prison uh, uh, in solitary confinement. That's unbelievable. And let me ask you folks a question, Robert and Albert. What we we see here the motivation that a prosecutor would go out of his way to stay in order of a judge. And all the judge was doing was the right thing. All the judge is saying, look, this is racially motivated. This is not just. And you can go, a prosecutor can go, it says here that it was the third time that Albert, the conviction had been overturned three yes. times. And, uh, yes, and this is this goes to the crux of of everything. The case has a history. Uh, the person who initially prosecuted Albert, uh, Cynthia John Cynthia, was a young attorney, uh, and he eventually became the Attorney General of the State of Louisiana. Albert was his first big conviction. He made a reputation of convicting Albert, along with John uh, Piku, who was a, a senior prosecutor in, in San Francisville at the, at the time. And so they had to validate uh, that con- conviction. What happened is, 20 years later, Albert King gets overturned. His boyhood friend, who had been knowing Buddy Caldwell and John Sinfield, his boyhood friends, had been knowing each other since they were five years old. Went through law school together. When John Sinfield became the Attorney General of the state of Louisiana, he brought on Caldwell. And when John Sinfield left, Caldwell took it on, but he also inherited this case, Albert's case. He was determined to make sure to validate to make sure that his boyhood friend, uh, and he did it through means of, I won't, probably don't even have the time to go through the deviousness in which this was done, but it was done. And this is why that history, this is why he was so bid up on keeping this process going and ongoing and ongoing. And you did uh, stipulate, one of you say that you wonder how, he still have a job. Well, well, right. <laughs> he don't anymore. But that's another story. We'll perhaps get to that. Okay. And I was well, reading. But some there's of a history. Yes. You know, in America, you often hear this uh, 
saying about, you know, uh, American the judicial system is not perfect, but it's the best in the world. And I challenge that statement because the uh, most of the uh, politicians in this country start out as uh, uh, district attorneys, and they use certain cases as career builders. And they go on to lead fruitful lives, lucrative lives, whereas the, the victim uh, uh, of their uh, malicious prosecution spent decades in prison. And in this case with me, almost 44 years in solitary confinement. Uh, as Robert said, this is a, for another time, another story, but the the misconduct on the part of the Attorney General Office and the various district attorneys of the West Philadelphia Paris is legendary. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, one day it will be it will be exposed, you know. No, absolutely. And I'm reading uh, a little bit through the transcript, uh, I guess of a meeting, uh, I guess of uh, proceedings rather, uh, with the judge. Uh, and who is Vicky Wallace? Oh, uh, that's Harmon Wallace's sister. Okay, listen to what she says here. This shows you right here uh, how people do not like truth being brought to the forefront in proceedings. And I quote Vicki Wallace. She said, we went to court. That's when Herman asked the judge, can I ask you a question? He said, yes. He said, where the black people is? And I quote, I was curious myself that it was an all-white jury. Not one black person was on it. So the judge told him, get him out of here. Get him out. I stood up. I said, listen at this. And Herman, when he was pulling him, he had his hand, peace and power. He said, take care. So the judge, why would the judge become so inflamed and outraged to question, why don't we have a black on the jury? To the point where the judge acted to me, he snapped and threw the guy out of the, threw, threw the people out of the courtroom who challenged or question the process. How difficult was that? Well, very difficult. I mean, there are, you know, judges in, in, in America, and particularly in the southern part of America, uh, they don't like to be challenged. They don't like, uh, even when you are quoting statutory law, constitutional law, or cases that have been ruled on as to their conduct. So they become very arrogant, very... Uh, mean-spirited, and a lot of it, you know, is race-based. No, absolutely. And it is very troubling that, uh, I mean, so, you know, we talk about the issues in America right now, the race, the, the judicial system, as if this is something new that's going on. This has been going on for decades. The injustice <clears throat> to African Americans and the disparities uh, in our prison system. Um, now, let me ask you folks a question. You said, how does a person endure such cruelty? Uh, you know, I've had, we've had people on this program that have been in solitary confinement nowhere near the length of time that you folks were in it and felt like they absolutely could not deal with it. What was your rationally, basically, what was your mindset, if you will, to focus and to make it through that, how did you survive that in your own personal? And, and each of you can answer that question. Uh, yes. Well, I'll take 
I take it, uh, the question for you because I, it has been asked of me many, uh, many times. You know, I, I think though it was my the just the you know cut through all all the rhetoric. It was my my at this time. You know, I had been through a few changes in society, and I had begun to think about my situation. But it was my coming into contact with uh, the Black Panther Party and members of the Black Panther Party and other people of consciousness who kind of opened up the doorway uh, for me and gave me an idea as to what was going on. And especially, uh, it was the Black Panther Party. Uh, I lack, I lack it. I like the philosophy. I like I like the the concept, and uh, I was motivated really by this. So when I went to prison, when I was ultimately sent to prison from the New Orleans Parish Prison, and by this time I had already tried to. Well, that's another story too. But by the time they did send me to Paris Prison, I was arrested early, uh, January of uh, uh, 1970. But when they did eventually send me to prison in, in May 1972, I was highly politicized. And I, you know, and I had the mindset that even though I was in prison, you know, um, prison wasn't in me. And I think that was a difference. I made that distinction. And uh, it was my political, because I had, again, like I had been in prison now for a couple of years and had become really fully politicized, you know, and and my thought processes was advancing, evolving to great degrees. And I begin to associate, you know, and I begin to see what was really happening, why the prison was filled, why the disparity, the discrimination, the racism that I only, you know, uh, I had an idea of I was really to, uh, you know, ready to really define it and see it in its full bloom and understand why it was happening. If I didn't know why it was happening at at one time, now my being politicized, I understood what was going on, and I was able to put things in, in context. And I say, well, okay, I see what's going on. And I felt that, you know, with this being politicized, it was like a buoyancy and feeling being in prison, and I wasn't going to let prison get in me. And I, I think it was this struggling to, to try to make things uh, better. Uh, not, 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 you know, you can't really humanize uh, a prison because it wasn't built for humanization. It was built to dehumanize, but. You know, you can kind of uh, shake the the wagon a little bit and make some things happen. You could you could advocate for for, for certain constitutional rights that they say you don't have, but that you pursue that they have to eventually give it to you. And this is how we were able to get some things changed. And we uh, you know, uh, we struggled against some of the atrocities that were going on. And even though by this time we were locked in solitary confinement in you know closed cell restrictions. 23 hours a day, uh, we did manage, you know, to have open mind and to to kind of uh, keep ourselves in, in, involved and absorbed into what was taking place as much as we could, what was going on outside, and to, to implement that among ourselves, among the people who were with us on the tier where we were. So we were able to do this, and we got we gained some, some we we accomplished some things, and Alba could tell you about. Uh, the, the rich being filed, the thing that were accomplished, and so forth. But uh, we, are, we, this is how we were able to, to, to maintain some buoyancy. But prison impacts everyone. You can't get dipped in waste and not come up smelling. And there is an impact that prison impact, especially closed cell restriction in solitary confinement. It impacts you. 
I know, absolutely. And Albert, your thoughts? Well, you know, as King has uh, so eloquently laid out already, you know, uh, for me, uh, the beginning of life for me was um, when I became involved in the Black Panther Party. Uh, the party taught me that I mattered, that I, within me lies dignity, pride, self-respect, uh, the powerful determination to determine, rather, my, my, my destiny. Uh, you know, uh, because of my readings, I learned that if a cause is noble, you can carry the weight of the world on your shoulder. I think that the cause of the angle of truth is noble, and it allowed us to, you know, develop internal strength and determination that was far beyond any power that the state of Louisiana and the staff and the security staff at uh, Angola uh, State Prison had. And, uh, you know, it was just a sense of who we were, you know, that you, we were not who we were told we were. You know, the mm-hmm. plantation uh, owners told the slaves that they were worthless. And, you know, and when some of the slaves found out, hey, I'm not worthless, I matter, they rebelled, and that was us. Mm-hmm. But at the initial stage of putting us in CCR, King, uh, myself, and Harmon, we realized that the worst thing that could happen to us is we would become institutionalized, that we would right. turn away from society and embrace the culture of prison. So we knew that if we were going to have any chance of surviving, we had to turn from prison and turn to society and be stay connected to society, if only through, uh, you know, empathy. Uh, so, you know, we developed programs that built character, that built strength, built determination, and... Uh, we, you know, just did not allow ourselves to become uh, mentally uh, enslaved by the Louisiana uh, uh, State Penitentiary culture. No, absolutely. And, uh, I'll tell you what, Robert um, and Albert, uh, we salute you. I mean, I can't even imagine the inner strength that it took. Uh, Cliff, you had a question for the guys? Yeah, I mean, uh, I know you guys said that you thought a lot about, uh, you know, four of the things that were going on there in the prisons and uh, some type of equality as such during that time period. You know, we hear a lot about solitary confinement now. We had uh, the former director of the Bureau of Prisons. He was talking about it in front of Congress. Um, With the, you know, the fight that you guys have been doing and and with the time that you spent in solitary confinement, uh, have you over the years seen uh, you know, any type of uh, advancement and, you know, I guess just the, the conditions or, or anything that says, you know, the fight against solitary confinement, that it's starting to, to bear fruit, that you see something different going on in the prison system uh, with all of the talk and, you know, what, what I would just call rhetoric going on out here. But from somebody inside, what have you guys seen as far as the change in the uh, solitary confinement or or, uh, you know, special housing unit or whatever they want to phrase it? Uh, well, yes. Uh, over the years, there have been some, uh, and I'm sure Albert could also attest to this and give you his assessment on it, but over the years, yes, it's 
seen incremental, but it has picked up momentum in the last past years. You have people now across the board, and I mean people across the aisle, both both sides, middle, left, and far right, uh, speaking about prisons. And all of this uh, come about as a result, you know, of the years and years that has been going on that collectively people have been make, making noise about about prison. Uh, you know, I'm a firm believer, cause and effect, you know, you that old saying, you know, that adage you throw pebble in a pond, you get ripples, and these all these ripples have turned into waves, and we can see uh, the impelling uh, effect that it has. And some prisons are taking it upon themselves. Uh, of course, they haven't gone far enough, but it they have gone to some degree to revise, uh, you know, certain laws, and even the United States Supreme Court, uh, um, you know, uh, focusing on. Uh, revising, you know, uh, the criminal injustice system or justice system as they call it, uh, they, you know, they have uh, went back and uh, made a law that, and is retroactively applied to uh, people who were sentenced as juveniles, you know, uh, to a life without the possibility of parole, for, uh, you know, prevention of sentence. They now have a redress. They now have a way. They got to have a hearing now. And there have been other things like long timers, people in Angola, many people who. Ordinarily, wouldn't be considered for parole or going up. I, I'm here for parole. Now, this doesn't mean that any justice is being allocated, but it means, right. just to answer your question, that the thing that we have been doing and, we're, and we, we have been winning at our back and we're going to continue to do this. Uh, we, are, we aren't finished with this. We are, you know, in our album, we're going, perhaps going to that. So, yes, we are, we have, we are making impact, and yes, we have seen. Some changes, and we'll hopefully we'll continue to see changes. However, if we uh, you know we will continue, and uh, we will if we and we will pass on the legacy to other people who will pick it up from us to to, uh, to implement, and make sure these changes are implemented, not just in the criminal justice or injustice system, but you know it it permeates the rest of society because what you see in prison, you know you see a replication of society just on a broader scale, you know, and. Yeah. So, but there have been some changes, and 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 we've seen these changes, and I think we'll continue to see. No, absolutely, and uh, you know we, and I want to get your thoughts. There's there's been some talk, some talk, if you will, and I, I this I'm going to play this clip for you. It's called the sounds of solitary confinement, and I want to get your thoughts on this particular clip because it talks about really it speaks for itself. I want both of you guys to speak to it. This is what we, we deem to be called the sounds of those in solitary confinement and why what you folks, you two gentlemen, have achieved in fighting against that and not becoming institutionalized, why it is such a huge accomplishment. Here are the sounds of solitary confinement. We'll get your thoughts on it after the clip.
And there you have it. Wow. <laughs> you know, I thought I was wrong. Sound. For me, for me, it sounds last sound sounded like just someone was beating, uh, using a slip or something to beat on a, on the outside of a door to get the attention of, of the officer. You know, for some reason or another, that's what it sounded like to me. And, and with many other sounds of prisons, you know. I mean, when you well, hear for, that, you know, no, you know, for me, that's a sound of you know, torture, endless nightmare. Okay. That's a sound of insanity finding a way. To express itself from various different guys who were affected by being confined to a, a, a nine by six cell, twenty three hours out of a day, uh, it represents uh, 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 you know God just not able to cope and what cope what would be called a normal way uh, with the pressure in an elementary environment. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just, you know, it is so sad. And, you know, there's nothing more sad than seeing a grown man reduced to a child who cries out or who beats uh, against the uh, bars or the doors of his cell or whatever, you know, to just try to relieve that pain. There's so much pain, so much agony there, you know. And uh, to go back to what you said about earlier about, uh, uh, the cry or what Robert said is that people are becoming aware. And I think that's the biggest change in America now that the, because of the hard work and dedication of people who belong to support groups such as A3 and the, and, uh, uh, the move, uh, uh, nine or Momia, uh, you know, and so many other, uh, uh, organization in this country, the people are being made aware of what's going on in this country in their name and things that they have taken moral positions on and have condemned that's happening around the world. They begin to realize that it's happening right here in America in their prisons. And I think, you know, the level of kindness that King spoke up earlier. You know, in order for you to, to, you know, take a position, you have to, the level of content, you have to take a moral position, and you have to say, this is wrong, this is not humane, and we will not accept it. And that's what you see happening in, in America now. So you have yes. a, uh, an environment that has been created that allows people to, to speak out now and to force change in prison. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. Listen, uh, Robert Albert, do you have a few more minutes you can spend with us? We're getting ready to bring on Jackie Samel. We're going to take a break. Can you folks come back uh, for a few yeah. minutes? Uh, yeah. Okay? We're going to bring you back. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we have been honored tonight uh, speaking, the conversation going on right now with Robert King and Albert Woodfox. Uh, solitary confinement, the tortures, the, and, and Al- Albert and Robert made it plain, the sounds of solitary confinement that we just played, it sounds like a place of torture. We'll continue this troubling conversation after this. The one and the only PBR. 
1992, when 20 bull riders from the rodeo circuit came together to give life to a dream they all shared, they never could have imagined that it would so quickly develop into one of the most declared and fastest-growing sports in America. PBR brings the toughest sport on dirt to major venues nationwide. Today, more than 600 bull riders from the United States, Australia, Brazil, Canada, and Mexico hold PBR memberships. PBR has rapidly transformed one of the fastest-growing sports in America into a worldwide phenomenon. PBR is located in Pueblo, Colorado, on the beautiful Riverwalk, and they are hiring right now. PBR is looking for a graphic designer, a financial planning analyst, an event marketing director, and a social media manager. Folks, these are opportunities you do not want to miss. Visit their website today at www.pbr.com. You have the option to call at 719-242-2800. And if you can't do that, folks, send an email at recruiting at PBR.com. They would love to hear from you. And remember, there's only one PBR. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trial and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform.
And welcome back to America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we've been honored to have Robert King and Albert Wetbox as we've been discussing solitary confinement, the horrors of it, and the injustice that these two gentlemen uh, have suffered as a result of a justice system uh, that has fe- basically fell off the tracks. And uh, we can't help but mention them uh, without mentioning Herman Wallace, uh, the gentleman that passed away shortly after being released, uh, part of the Angola Three, and our, uh, again, um, condolences go out to his family and that loss and that tragedy after suffering the injustice that he did uh, is just unbearable. And, and tonight we uh, welcome uh, Robert and Albert back. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for coming back with us, and uh, we're going to get to you here in a moment. But right now we'd like to bring in... Um, uh, Jackie, and Jackie, if I'm pronouncing your last name correct, is it Samel? Uh, it's Samel. Samel, please, thank you for correcting me on that. I would not want to torture that, uh, but I wasn't sure, so I'm just going to call you Jackie. Is that cool? That's great. Thank you. you no, know, you're very welcome. Jackie, thanks for joining us tonight. I don't know how much of the show you've heard thus far, um, but we wanted to talk to you, uh, and thank you for taking a few minutes out of your time uh, being a, a, a true voice uh, for the uh, injustices that have happened, uh, definitely in, in regards to the uh, Angola Three. Uh, talk a little bit uh, to the people about what you do, what drives you to continue to seek justice for those that have been wronged. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's a, it's an honor to be able to talk about this, but it feels kind of funny because the whole driving force behind my purpose in this lifetime are the other two guests on the show, you know, and I feel like my voice is is really the least important or interesting in terms of the conversation of cruel and unusual punishments like solitary confinement when you have um, literally humble superheroes who have endured it for decades, like Albert Woodfox and Robert King. And unfortunately... You know, Herman is no longer with us. He has joined the ancestors, but his voice is very much still part of the struggle to abolish it. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, I can talk a little bit about the work I do, maybe as a point of access for folks who also feel powerless against a system that is so big and maybe... Um, not so directly affected by it. Um, Perhaps, like myself, they haven't been incarcerated um, or they don't have loved ones who are incarcerated. But I think one of the things that I did hear you mention was that the prison industrial complex is a system that has fallen off the track. And I think that's an inaccurate statement because I think the prison industrial complex is functioning as it was designed to function, which is to um, immobilize brown and black bodies, either by direct incarceration or by some form of correctional control, um, be it probation or parole or some sort of detention, where we're looking at now 8 million people who are affected by it. And that affectation renders them, as Michelle Alexander says, second-class citizens in terms of their ability to participate in a healthy society. And that is an intentional runoff, if you will, of the history of chest health slavery. And so I I don't think it's fallen off the tracks. I think it's in the tracks that were skillfully and carefully designed by white 
to premises. And I'm oh, able, point. only able to speak about this because I have hopefully listened well um, during this journey in supporting in whatever way I could Herman Wallace, Albert Woodfoss, and Robert King. And it's really just a matter of, I think, paying attention and being moved by these incredible human beings who are forced to endure these inhumane and intentional conditions. And one of the ways that I sort of describe this unexpected journey that I've taken, you know, I think that we as human beings, or sometimes I say human doings in the case of reverence for the Angola Three, those human doings who have never stopped doing, which has allowed them to survive the impossible. Um, for me, it's really like I've witnessed this. And, it's, and what's remarkable is how many incredible human doings I've met, like Norris Henderson or Walimu Johnson or Malik Rahim, Geronimo Dijaga, et cetera, these beings that I consider my elders, um, is like the prison industrial complex is this incredibly oppressive system, and we being made mostly of carbon, um, when oppressed, much like carbon in nature, can either turn to coal or become a diamond. And what the prison industrial complex and the designers and the orchestrators of today aren't recognizing is that they are forcing so many human doings into becoming these diamonds. And if we, the lay person, who may or may not feel bound by our particular surroundings, you know, I don't think incarceration is necessarily just a physical experience. I think it's very emotional and very spiritual. And that's how you have people like Herman, Robert, and Albert who can transcend the physical experience of being incarcerated. Um, and, and that some of us might feel incarcerated or bound or held by our mortgages or by our inability to get health care or by our bad marriages or whatever it might be, that it is very much a spiritual state of existence. But within the physical constructs of the prison, there is so much oppression and so much literal pressure that you're forcing these living, breathing beings to either become, to turn to coal, to destroy them, or to become these incredible diamonds. And those of us who are not physically bound need to pay attention to those diamonds because there is such a rich amount of wisdom. And I've just been blessed to be able to have met them um, in the course of this lifetime. Oh, no, and and well-spoken, Jackie. And to your point, I think that makes sense. Uh, you know, I see the system as the wheels falling off, but as you allude to, this was designed from the beginning to oppress. Therefore, for the wheels to fall off means at some point the wheels were on track, and we can't look back at a time as we go further back in history, the injustice uh, was there. The cruelty, the oppression was there. So very, 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 very good point on that uh, and, and, and that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, Robert, your, uh, your thoughts what Jackie just shared with us. Oh, yes, well, one thing remained remain with me. I've, I've gone to the speaker. I got you. I'm on here alone. My battery was uh, running low, and I heard the beep. So I'm on speakerphone now. I hope you don't get much noise. But, uh, yes, uh, I, yes I, I just uh, I listened to Jackie and uh, 
and it's well stated, and yes, and I could, uh, but yeah, uh, she did an excellent job of, of, despite the fact that Herman and Al, Albert are here, <laughs> and being the motivation for her, she, uh, she seemed well motivated. Thank you for those, for, for those sentiment comments. Uh, but you know, I just want to point out that in my in my political evolution, and in my life, I've had two conversions. I've had one religious conversion, and I've had one spiritual conversion. Uh, when I say religious conversion, I was converted to the religion of my mother. And don't get me wrong, I'm not mocking My mother, my grandmother, the lady who raised me was my grandmother, and she believed in what she believed in. That was her way of communicating. So her religion was her religion. And uh, mm-hmm. I adopted religion. You know, I adopted that religion, uh, was baptized at nine years old, went to church, and was told all about what would happen in the, in the hereafter. That was, I was totally converted to religion. Years later, maybe nine years, less than nine years later, I came in contact with another type of conversion. This was a spiritual conversion. It was when I became politically aware of what was happening to me and my people in this society. I do think that, don't get me wrong, I'm not trivializing this religious conversion, nor am I trivializing my, 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 my ancestors' religion and how they operated and how they survived. But I'm saying this, that it wasn't until I became politicized and I obtained uh, this spiritual conversion. And this spiritual conversion has sustained me from the time, from 1972 or thereabout, up until this point nine, and it can only intensify and increase. And I feel myself, you know, really evolving, continuing, you know, to, to evolve. And so I, I, I just wanted to, you know, to point out that, Jackie alluded to, you know, the spirituality that exists in in in, in prison, and prison can bring out the spirituality. Well, uh, it was because I uh, in my book that if they had let me out six months after I was in Angola, I mean the first time that was my second time in Angola. I went as a youngster when I was eighteen, and had they let me out, you know, six months after. You, I got there. They would not have had any trouble with me, but they held me too long. But not only did I read the Bible, you know, but I was guided to read other books because I questioned things that I had read about, a questioned thing, interpretation that people had made, and sure. it was this led me to this spiritual deal. But anyway, haven't said I've said enough. But that's my comment. Oh, thank you, Robert. Albert, your uh, thoughts on that? Uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say hello to my, my sister and Conrad, Jackie Summer. Uh, Hi. Hey, she's a, <laughs> a, a great comrade, a fearless uh, artist, and uh, she has uh, been so, so valuable to the freedom of uh, Robert King and Harmon. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can see a lot of things, but I think Harmon Wallace, uh, 
had a saying, and I and, and, and I always think about it. You know, he said, you know, the deeper they bury me, the louder my voice. And I think that pretty much sums up everything that you know I believe in, that I fought for, and that I will continue to fight for. Uh, no, absolutely. It's been an honor to serve. You know the people of this country, uh, especially those who are in prison. Uh, sure. Uh, a good friend and a supporter who uh, teaches law at Southern uh, University, her name is uh, Angela Allen Bell. She she wrote a piece once on, and she said that uh, or when the politicians and the, the courts and society turn their backs on the prison, then prison administration is secured to become judge, jury, and execution. So the people of this country have got to get involved and find out what's happening in the prisons and the courts across this country and bring change. No, absolutely, and definitely well-spoken. And, uh, Jackie, I want to ask you something in regards to and, – and, I'm sorry? Jackie? I didn't say anything. Though. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. I thought... Yes, and in 2006, you published a book called The House That Herman Built. Uh, tell the folks a little bit about that project. Oh, that project um, was the only sort of vocabulary or mechanism I had to honor um, meeting Herman Wallace and give voice to his story and his situation. And it actually began in 2002 so it was over a decade long of working with him and 15 years of working with King and Wood Fox and um which is crazy to say it's like I feel like I was such a baby when I met them for the first time and now I've got gray hair and crazy wrinkles you know um but the project began with a very simple question where I asked Herman at that time what's it like for a man who's been in solitary confinement for 30 years? What kind of house does a man who's been in solitary confinement dream of? And I only asked him that question because um, I could see that he was suffering through our written exchange. Um, And I could see that, um, you know, at the early on in our relationship, they moved Herman from uh, solitary, from CCR into Camp J, which is actually more punitive. They call it the dungeon at Angola. And um, and I started to see his ability to focus and his ability. Like he had such a joyous um, spirit, and all of that was being quashed by the experience of Camp J. And so I realized I had to do something, and I asked him what kind of house does a man who's been in solitary for 30 years dream of with the hope that he and I would just have this little exchange and in some way, shape, or form I could contribute to his imagination or um, inspire his imagination. So I never intended for it to be an art project or for it to grow wings and take off and become in some ways the voice for Herman Wallace to be heard around the globe, but that's what happened. And very often people ask me, well, wh- why Herman? Why not? Why not Woodfox, you know? And I always say that um, if it was the house that Albert built, it probably would have gotten built already. But it was simply a decision. You know, they both were suffering 
but the pain was much more visible in the exchange with Herman because, as I said, they moved him to the dungeon. Um, and so that was the beginning of this project and sort of the way that my life has been guided and a huge part of what King describes as a personal, political, and spiritual evolution, or I would even say a reorientation. You know, it's sort of like my whole life I've bumped into these characters that I wanted to be like if it was my grandmother or my mother or at a certain point it was Miss Piggy. Um, And, you know, then it sort of gravitated towards Wonder Woman. And then I met Robert King. And then I met Herman. And then I met Albert. And then I had this very... Um, clear sense of the kind of person I wanted to be, and then I moved in that direction. No, absolutely. And the work that you're doing, Jackie, is to be commended. And Robert and and Albert, I cannot tell you tonight the respect um, that I have for you gentlemen to endure uh, what has been endured and the horrors, as as Jackie alluded to, the, the dungeon, if you will, uh, that's what solitary confinement is. It is a dungeon. It is a horror uh, that needs to be outlawed uh, in America, and, and we salute you on AJC Radio. A couple of questions for Robert and Albert real quick. One question I wanted to ask, we do our, doing our research, uh, for your release, was there some type of plea that was entered to of any kind in order for the state to finally let, let you folks out? Well, you know, since I was the last one, out, uh, I ended a plea. It's called a nola contender. Is is more? It's more uh, a plea for freedom than a plea of uh, admittance of guilt. I had no time admitted guilt to the uh, Brent Miller murder, uh, and I don't now. But you know, I'm 69 years old. I've been in CCR 44 years, and you know, I have great family. I have a daughter, grandkids, great-grandkids. And I thought I owed them, if not as much time, some time uh, mm-hmm. as a free man. And as difficult as it was for me, you know, the, but the plea itself, you know, it was about, like I say, it was a, it was a plea of, 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 of freedom, not a plea of guilt. Uh, it was also a plea to uh, get something done about solitary confinement in the Louisiana state prison system and throughout America and around the world. And uh, while we can't speak to the specifics right now, uh, some of our attorneys and the attorneys for the uh, attorney general office in the, in the state of Louisiana are in negotiations uh, developing new uh, solitary confinement policies so that what happened to King, myself, and Herman will never happen to another human being who is being housed or has the unfortunate of being housed in a, in a prison in Louisiana, state of Louisiana. Okay. And, Albert, was that the same condition upon your release as well? Yeah. Uh, if, no, on, my, on the condition of my release, as you know, I, you know, I was not charged uh, in the, uh, with Herman and Albert. I was charged in a subsequent, in a alleged subsequent murder of another inmate, in which another inmate uh, 
testified to it. However, they got someone to say that I was involved in it. And this happened some years after, uh, a year or so after, Albert and Herman had been convicted and charged, falsely charged and convicted for this crime. But the fact that I was a member of the Black Panther Party, I was guilty by association. So when this, mm-hmm. and I got initially, that I was not even in prison uh, when all of this took place. But nevertheless, uh, being 150 miles away didn't make a difference. They locked me in CCR, and I was charged and held for those 29 years, and I was under the investigation of uh, Brent Miller for the murder of Brent Miller, even though I wasn't in prison. They had me investigated for that. They could not keep me in prison, but they found they couldn't keep me. Uh, they found a way to keep me. They couldn't keep me in prison all, all you know, for, for now on, but they found a way to keep me in solitary confinement. So what they did was they got someone to say that I had participated in the murder or the death of another inmate on a tier. Uh, in uh, 72, sometime in March, April, sometime in 72. And as a result of that, I was falsely brought to trial, found guilty. They got someone to say it, even though they, the inmate who was who had actually killed a guy in self-defense admitted and took the stand and said that I didn't have anything to do with it. They got someone to say that I participated in it. I couldn't uh, defend myself. They had me taped. My mouth was taped. I set out throughout the trial. My mouth was taped. Eventually, they, that decision was overturned. That case was overturned. And I continued to file risks on it uh, that I was innocent. And I went on to the federal court. My case was overturned two or three times uh, after my after filing uh, my own writ. I went to, like I said, I went to the federal court uh, two times. They got it overturned twice. But right. uh, it wasn't until the third time that I went back to court. I got a third bite off the app. I was persistent, and I, I eventually uh, got the court to look at it and the grant me uh, sort of like a probable cause. And, and as a result of it, they wanted me. They didn't want to set me free. Geronimo Jaga had just recently got out. The, the state and the federal government had framed him. They stated that he had killed some people when he was 350 miles away. They didn't want to make that type of settlement with me under false conviction. So what they wanted me to do is plead guilty to a charge in which I would uh, kind of uh, mute, you know, uh, mute my chances of uh, getting any money. And the point is just that uh, at the encouragement of Alvin Harmon and the supporters, they came to me with a proposal. They wanted to charge me initially with uh, – uh, I didn't want to be charged with anything, and I really cried when I accepted uh, this plea. I didn't want to be charged with anything. They wanted me to plead guilty initially to a manslaughter. I, I ain't gonna tell you what I told them. Then they wanted me to, to plead guilty. To, uh, they wanted me to plead guilty to uh, a, a conspiracy. Well, you know they could have charged anybody if they wanted to with with a conspiracy. Uh, ex- I mean, accessory rather. Rather, they could have charged what? anybody with accessory who was on the tier. But I and I was willing to accept that. But then they saw that I was still would have been able to sue, so they charged me then with they say at they wanted me to plead guilty to accessory. And it, in the final analysis, I ended up pleading guilty to accessory because that put me out that same day. Uh, it exonerated me to a degree. I pled guilty to to accessory because they could have charged anybody with accessory at the origin of Harmon and Albert at the time and. With lawyers and supporters, you know, letting me know that, go home, man. I was reluctant to go, but they wanted me to go. They said, go home. And believe me, I really, I was, it was time for me to go. And in hindsight and in retrospect and in any other way you look at it, I'm glad that I took their decision to, to get out because they told me, go. Everybody knew you didn't do anything. You might could do something for us. And, 
And, well, here we are today, you know. When I left Angola, I said I might be free of Angola, but Angola would never be free of me. I had no idea what I would do, but, well, I did something, and here we are. Well, here we are, and, and uh, Robert and and uh, Albert and Jackie, I cannot tell you uh, the overwhelming feeling I have now, and, and I understand I'm saddened by a system that puts individuals in positions for political gain, for money, for whatever. It is, it is the sickest thing I have ever come across in my life, a justice system. And I can take justice off of there. And I think, Robert, you said the injustice system of America is alive and well. And uh, we salute you for what you've gone through. You have an ally and a support here at AJC Radio. Tell the folks, if you can, as we close this segment of the show, I want to give my very sincere thanks uh, for coming on our show tonight and expressing your heart. Uh, Jackie, the things you're doing and the, the 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 unity that you feel talking about these guys, the passion that you have. Uh, we need more Jackies, Roberts, and Alberts in America to change the culture uh, of what's going on in this country right now. And Jackie, first, let me let you give you an opportunity to tell the folks if they want to get a hold of you, how can they reach you, and how can they uh, reach out for services and, and be a part of what you're doing as well. Yeah, so one of the ways that um, you can continue to engage in campaigns to abolish solitary, I mean, there's some incredible work being done um, out there. Sarah Shord, if you're in the Bay Area, just produced a play about solitary confinement, which is now finally up and running. Um, Jim Ridgway, uh, sorry, (laughs) a very strange noise happening in my house, and Jeannie, um, have also have this incredible website, um, the Stop Solitary website. I started a project called the Solitary Gardens, um, which is just now getting some legs, and it's a runoff of the house that Herman built, um, which pairs folks that are currently serving long-term solitary confinement with volunteers on the outside to co-create garden beds that are the same size and blueprint as solitary cells. And the intention is to be able to illustrate the inhumanity and then provide an antidote, a little moment of respite for those who are forced to endure solitary, to dream, to create, to build their own garden bed. Okay. And uh, the folks will definitely reach out, I'm sure, Jackie, and we appreciate your work, all that you're you're doing. Uh, Robert and Albert, how can folks? You're welcome. And, and Robert and Albert, how can folks get a hold of you to join the movement in, in instituting change? From your experience, how can folks get a hold of you? Yeah, well, you can go to our website. Uh, well, okay. www. <laughs> some other website or uh, other related website, but if you go to www. Um, w.angola3.org it'll uh, get you to all of the rest of the website including uh, uh, you know uh, Jackie's uh, site the house that in the in, uh, home house and the uh, rest of those uh, Alvin may have a few more he can name uh, in which I can't remember okay no you know uh, I'll just take my few moments and say thank you and uh, all of the people that work with you for giving us an opportunity to become 
to come before the American people and to be the voice for those who have no voice. And hopefully by raising the level of consciousness of the American people, we can put an end to solitary confinement and all the other brutalities that go on in our prison systems, in our judicial systems, in our political systems, and our economic systems. Okay, and thank you, gentlemen and young ladies, so much. We salute you tonight on AJC Radio. Take care. Our thoughts are with you. And uh, it, remember, anything you're doing as far as pushing your message out, you'll always have an open door here uh, at AJC Radio and a platform to get that message out. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Have a good rest of the evening. Thank, Thank you. you. Have Thank a beautiful you. night. Likewise. Thank you. Take care. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen of America, the Angola 3, now the Angola 2. We find ourselves in troubling waters. When you hear William Lisa Cliff, the sadness of having to be forced into a plea. And Robert said, I spent 44 years in solitary confinement. It was time for me to go home. A system that is set up to break, to oppress human beings. It is a disgrace in this nation that such activities go on and go undealt with is, is, is the biggest tragedy, I believe, and a breaking of the human spirit that I can think of. And I, I don't judge these men for taking a plea to get out of there. Forty-four years in what they call the hole, with one purpose in mind, to break them. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. As we continue this discussion Solitary confinement, cruel and unusual punishment going on right now in America. Thought-provoking for sure. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a invitation to you. Let's talk. Kicks off July 12th at 7 p.m. at 451 Winchime Place. The new acclaimed series on A&E, 60 Days In, will be the topic. Featuring Sheriff Jamie Knoll talking about the impact this new series is having, not only around the nation, but in his personal life. Join us Tuesday, July 12th at 7 p.m. For further information, call 855-529-4252, extension 710. We'll see you then. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. 
That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Do you know what this means? Do you? It means you can voice your opinion without censorship or restraint. It means you can say nothing at all. It means you can debate, protest, question, contribute, whenever, wherever. Take it. Embrace it. Say it out loud. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. And tonight, uh, we have dealt with a very serious topic, solitary confinement, and it has been a horrific topic. Uh, Cliff, when you hear the Angola 3 talk in regards, and I include Herman there because his voice is definitely speaking, uh, he says, "The the deeper I'm buried, the louder my voice will be. So I include the Angola 3. When you listen to that, Cliff, uh, honestly, it moved me to emotion as they were explaining why they took the plea of no contest. And I think he made a good point. It wasn't a plea of guilt to the charge, but a plea for freedom, really asking for mercy of the court to set him free. Your thoughts on that type of situation? Well, yeah, I mean, you look at the fact that, uh, you know, three times – judges said that this man should be free that he committed no crime that the trial against him was racially motivated that uh there just was no way he was going to get a fair trial and um you know his friends told him hey you know at least you can get out there and you may you may be able to do something for us on the outside whereas uh you can't hear on the inside and it's a tragedy of how the system failed these three men and and i'm sure others there in uh angola as well but uh, to have to have a judge say, you know, unconditionally, this man should be free. Let him out right now. And for the state attorney to continue to continue to fight to keep this man in and not just in prison, but to keep him locked up in solitaire for decades uh, to for one express reason. And that was to break his spirit. That's what it was all about, to break his spirit, to try to get him to stop fighting. So that uh, the things that they were doing there in Angola could go unchecked, and I think it's a uh, uh, an extreme failure of the uh, of the justice system on the part of the state of um, of Louisiana, and uh, you know it just it it kind of leaves you speechless because you say three times a judge said let this man out, well, and and the state attorney says no, 
I don't think so. How do you disobey a judge's uh, orders as an attorney and uh, and nothing happens to you? But these men stay locked up for decades and not only locked up, but in solitary confinement and uh, cruel and unusual uh, punishment. No, absolutely. William, your thoughts on hearing their story, uh, these men are determined for them not to be institutionalized. Uh, During my wrongful conviction, conviction, I saw people go out and come back that could not function in society after 10 years let alone 30 to 40 years in solitary confinement is a testament to these men who have been able to rise above the fray, if you will, and to function at a level of normalcy that is uncanny. Your thoughts on that? Well, he actually answered and spoke to, uh, because that was my question, Um, reading through the information that we have, you know, one of the things that stood out to me was uh, Mr. Woodfox had said, we made a conscious decision that we would never become institutional. Absolutely. He said, he said, and I'm quoting him, he said, "As as the years went by, we made efforts to improve and motivate ourselves. And, you know, that to me was amazing because when you really talk about you did this for 44 years. You had to stay encouraged, inter- encourage your friends. Uh, they said here that they stayed um, you know, in touch with the world. They stayed in touch with the current events. And, and so it was really, it was really motivating uh, yes. to me, I guess, you know, to, say, to, to listen to them tell their story. And, and that's one of the major reasons they made it through. Absolutely. And we have a caller on the line. We have the, uh, we have the truth who wants to make a comment about this uh, moving subject tonight. Uh, you are live. Go ahead with your comment. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. I guess I'm a bit puzzled by the fact that a judge would uh, pass, pass an order uh, to say remove this man from prison, and the state attorney just more or less said we're not going to do it. Something's really strange about that because to me, was what what the judge said was was more or less a front rather than actually a standing up front. Because most of these judges, if if they pass an order or give an order about something, their pride alone not going to let you disregard what they said. And so when I listen. I'm thinking now, did the did the judge make some type of agreement with the attorney? Well, I'll just I'll just do this to make it look good, but you don't have to honor it, because it's strange to me that he would not enforce his own order. Something is strange about that. And so as I listened sure. to it, I thought, well, these these judges are not just going to sit back and you disregard an order that they just said three times. You disregarded me. I don't think I think something more is going on behind the scenes with that because I can't see a judge not enforcing his own order to be carried out and he had many ways in in the realm of the law to to even hold that hold that attorney in contempt of disobeying a judge's orders. I don't get that. It's like something else is behind the behind the scene on that. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to uh, kind of kind of put that out there because it sounds strange to me. And thanks for taking my call. No, and, you, and and thank you for the call. You know that does make sense that uh, Cliff, a judge, uh, to the to the caller's point, how how many judges will not only allow you to disregard an order once, 
and hold you in contempt almost immediately until that point of the caller, wait a minute. It's not normal, nor does it rise to the level of protocol in proceedings with a judge. And as she stated, uh, a, judge, a judge's own ego, uh, and that's a part of it, that's true. is not going to allow that. Cliff, your thoughts on the caller? Well, I mean, this, this uh, it also goes further to the actual uh, appellate judges there in Louisiana because the judge basically made the proclamation, hey, he, this man is innocent, his, his case was racially motivated, he did not get a fair trial, and every time he would push it up to the uh, higher court, they would appeal it at the, uh, at the request of this, of this state prosecutor. So, you know, it, it was like the state, prosecute, the state prosecutor knew that once it went to the appellate court there in Louisiana, that it was just going to get kicked back down, and, uh, and it happened three times. And, wow. and uh, you know, the result was men spending 40 years locked up in prison and most of that in solitary confinement. And the, as, as the caller alluded to, something deeper is happening here because it is not normal that a ju- judges go against their own brethren. That's true. Uh, on the bench. It, it doesn't stand to reason, and, and we thank the caller for that point. Uh, we want to take a very uh, quick moment to thank the Angola Three uh, for being a part of this program. Also, Jackie, for joining us as well. Jackie Summel, we appreciate what you are doing. A very special thanks to you. We change gears now, ladies and gentlemen, to the important segment of the show, what you didn't know about the RP6, discussing the power, the impact of software that could change the acts of terror happening right now in this nation. What you didn't know about the RP6 starts right now. A just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the RP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just an aside, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we lived, prayed, and worked together that we should end up dying together because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testified, and then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. 
She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story, Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy. Go to YouTube, search the race card. You don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And, and then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen of America, the RP6. Wow, what do you say? 1,700 views at YouTube. 
that says something. I'll tell you right now, folks, who are the IRP-6? These are not made-up characters, as we said before. Real men, real families that have suffered at the hand of injustice. Who are they? Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Patriots of America. And tonight we focus on one point. The tragedy in Orlando. The Boston Marathon attack. 9-11. One thing is certain. The IRP Solutions Corporation and the man known as the IRP-6 developed software that could help alleviate the body bags and the pain from this tragedy. William, a little bit about one of the uh, modules in the software created. Explain to the people how it could have helped in tracking this terrorist. Well, one of the things, uh, one of the modules that was actually um, written in Silk, the application created by the IRP-6, was designed to actually um, analyze data. It's called link analysis. So it's actually designed to, to find common behaviors or patterns across cases. So what that would allow people to do, if you had a case over here that had, you know, certain attributes, you know, it was, it was a specific crime and it had, they identified, you know, a car or, or a suspect or something along those lines, it would relate to uh, and find and discover other cases where there were similarities. And so that was one module that um, was, would be very, very useful in law enforcement because that would allow uh, agencies across multiple jurisdictions both state and local, to actually share case information and run link analysis on it to find the uh, same common behavior or patterns that a criminal usually leaves behind. And so, and another one is another module that's, that's really more important now, given the fact of Orlando, would be the confidential informant, which, would be, which is now the module that actually has uh, identified per- persons of interest people that we're tracking, people that we need to keep an eye on because we've identified a pattern or behavior with this person. Well, and, it, and, and, we, and now we have dubbed this person as a potential t- a terrorist. And now we're sharing this from the FBI level down to, you know, in the case of Orlando, Orlando Police Department, local law, local, local law enforcement. And see, this is what people don't understand about the application and about what IRP-6 did. This application could have done this. Wow, look, 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 William, we're going to definitely uh, have you explain that probably in the next few segments of the What You Didn't Know, because I think that is important for America to know. Ladies and gentlemen, to be continued here on What You Didn't Know About the RP6, we will continue to discuss the RP6. Who are they again? Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. This tragedy could have been avoided. We ask that Congress, the Department of Justice, And the President of the United States, take note that there is an answer, and it comes through the IRP-6. Lisa, the perpetrators of justice who caused this miscarriage of justice. Yes, they are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Mullen, 
former federal agent John Epke, former federal agent Gary Hillberry, attorney Thomas Goodread, attorney Clifford Barnard, attorney Thomas Richard, attorney Robert Berger, attorney Mitchell Baker, attorney Boston Stanton Jr., attorney Rick Kornfeld, attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that. Ladies, if, ladies and gentlemen, if you're wondering what that was, perpetrators of justice, those who are responsible in part, if not in full, for the wrongful conviction of the RP6. We'll see you next time here on AJC Radio. Good night, America. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And, and then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were uh, raiding or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to jail. Is this the American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.